welcome to the Vitality Coach Podcast with the mojo maker and host, Nikki Fogden-Moore, the Vitality Expert, dedicated to helping you be the CEO of your life and your business with special industry and life-leading guests. Top tips on how you can create that magic blend of healthy, wealthy, and wise for CEOs, entrepreneurs, founders, and people who do things with life. I'm Nikki Fogdemore, the Mojo Maker, and welcome back to the show. We have a whole new series for you, and as part of the influencers and people who do things with life campaign, it is no greater pleasure than mine to introduce the infamous Jamie Pride. Jamie, thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. It's pretty exciting. We've just had lunch, so we've philosophized about the whole world, and we've also done a recording for your show, Failure Proof, this morning. That's correct. And then it's a brand new show of yours that has come out. And what? tell me a little bit about Failure Proof. Um, so for me, one of the most important factors that I think entrepreneurs need to develop in terms of skill is this idea of resiliency. And the fact that you will experience failure in your entrepreneurial career, that's very sort of par for the course. Um, however, a lot of entrepreneurs don't prepare for that failure appropriately. And so for me, it's very much around... Um, rather than sort of saying, I'm going to avoid failure, it's about failure-proofing yourself. So how do you develop, you know, one, resiliency, and secondly, how do you build a sustainable work practice over time? And what you will notice is that we're sitting in almost like a university-esque backdrop because we're sitting in the New South Wales startup hub. Is that correct? It is. And which is a pretty cool location. I feel like I'm walking through university. Jamie feels like he's right at home. And the reason why he is, he's just finished one of his first books. Well, actually, the second book, isn't it? Second book, yeah. Unicorn Tears. And I think the great thing about Jamie is that you are absolutely dedicated to making sure that entrepreneurs have the best start. So that founder fitness mentality. And I met Jamie many, many years ago, I would say two to three years ago, standing on stage talking about your own journey mm-hmm. uh, and extreme success and then having it all come crash down. So just for listeners and viewers that are tuning into the show today, uh, whether you're in the States or whether you're in Europe or you're a silly in Australia, um, I'd love you to hear a little bit about what your background is. So. Yeah, I mean, so look, I've uh, I've had a bit of a mixed career. So I worked in the corporate world for a long time um, for large American organisations, primarily in technology. So I worked for companies like Cisco Systems, for for Red Hat, a software company, for Salesforce.com. Uh, spent a lot of time abroad, so I spent some time in Australia, but most of my corporate career was spent either in Singapore and London or in London. And I came back to Australia after I had some children um, to lead realestate.com.au, which is probably, um, for those who aren't based in Australia, it's one of the largest digital publishers. It's about a $6 billion business. Uh, So I was a very young CEO and uh, spent some time uh, sort of developing my, I guess, leadership in that role. Um, Was fortunate enough to be offered a partnership at Deloitte post that role. um, And I I, uh, moved back to Sydney to lead the Deloitte digital practice. Uh, During that time, though, I was always an entrepreneur at heart. So spent... You know, my side hustle days, uh, looking at businesses I could start. One of those businesses happened to be a Salesforce.com integrator. And uh, myself and a, a couple of co-founders, you know, built that business into a, a very substantial um, services business with some IP and some, some product over the top. And we sold that business in 2012 um, to a US-based uh, company that was private equity-backed, a company called Blue Wolf. Uh, so as a result of that, I, um, I, I made a full-time move out of the corporate world and into venture capital. And so since then, I've spent 
probably the past five or six years, either acting as an entrepreneur and founding businesses or funding them, um, or a blend of the both, uh, a blend of both. And so I'm constantly sort of surrounded by startups or entrepreneurs or my own businesses now, pretty much 24 by 7. And I, I think the interesting thing as well is you've just launched the Founder Circle, which mm -hmm. is really this creative and intellectual hub for people that are entrepreneurs to come and feel part of the tribe and deal with all those issues around resilience, growth, determination, even working through numbers to marketing strategy because you knew there was a huge gap in the market uh, to provide support mentally, physically, emotionally and intellectually for people that wanted to run a sustainable, and let's just hang on that word a little bit because one thing you and I both agree on is sustainable success. Yeah, and look, we, um, we've got a number of for-profit businesses. So, you know, we've got our venture fund, we've got our founder lab, which is looking at, you know, founder education. But one of the things we, we wanted to do that we were really passionate about, myself and my co-founder, was looking at founder mental health. Um, looking at peer support, looking at isolation. Um, we, we were, I guess, um, dismayed by the what we would call numbing out, burning out or checking out, the sort of the three big um, challenges that entrepreneurs were facing. You know, a lot of um, drug and alcohol abuse, a lot of, um, you know, depression, anxiety and even suicide. So founders are two and a half times more likely to be hospitalised than the baseline population. They're uh, three times more likely to have depression. Um, they're six times more likely um, to have ADHD. And really, um, we didn't see any outlet for founders uh, to be able to deal with those those issues and to sort of have a safe, a safe space where they could be vulnerable. And so we, we created a not-for-profit called the Founder Circle, uh, which, which whose mission is really to... Um, have founders support founders and you know you know we sort of have this catch cry where we don't really care about your startup we care about you um, a lot of founders um, really heavily link their personal identity and self-worth to their business exactly yeah. and um, they don't have that separation um, and the businesses can be all-consuming um, however sometimes it can just completely consume the entrepreneur and so you know when their businesses are up entrepreneurs are up and when their businesses are down entrepreneurs are down and we and wanted really down and really down and we wanted to start a dialogue yeah. around you know sustainability and entrepreneurship and I mean I do want to add to this point it's why you're explaining that, I think there's a lot of people that are that are leaders inside, what I call entrepreneurs, also feeling that exact same tension that when the business is up, they're up, and when the business is down, you know, as CEOs and executives, they're really, really uh, defined by that. So even though you've got the founder circle as a non-for-profit, there's a reason uh, in your own story that you went through your own uh, checkout, burnout syndrome as well. And so you have personal experience in this area. And I think there's a real openness about how you've spoken about that. And the big thing for me in leading, talking with leaders is this whole attitude towards we must look after our mental health while we're on the journey to success. So how has that experience for you, if you want to share your story a little bit, uh, motivated you to create a bigger platform? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that it is applicable definitely to executives just as much as it is to entrepreneurs. And you know, if I look at the mentality that I had when I was in the corporate world just as when I had as, as an entrepreneur, um, it was very much one of sprinting. So, you know, my view is that anybody can do 
um, high intensity work at short bursts. And, you know, we tend to have what I would call this sort of escapism cycle where you kind of go, okay, I'm going to go crazy for six weeks, get this project done, and then I need to escape. I need to take two weeks off or I'm going to be sick, you know, or, or even to a certain I'm going to leave my job and start a cafe or whatever it is. And so we have these very unsustainable work practices. You know, entrepreneurs suffer from them at the extreme, but executives suffer from them um, as well. The, the epiphany for me um, going through my own journey of sort of success and failure was that, um, you know, sometimes we get um, capacity and capability mixed up. And yeah, so it's a beautiful just I mean, I think you need to reiterate that again. Capacity and capability, they are not the same thing. They're not. And and you need both. Um, however, I would say that capability is less important. Um, you know, yeah, of course you've got to have the skills and, and you know, for me that's ticket to play and you can always continue to improve your capability. That's gonna evolve over time. But capacity, um, for me on three dimensions, so physical capacity, mental capacity and emotional capacity is the fuel tank, um, your reservoir that you can draw upon mm -hmm. um, that smooths out that journey. And it's something that, you know, you can you can essentially have um, to help buffer you from, you know, the stresses of the world, you know, and, and really, you know, when I, when I had my own challenges, I had plenty of capability but no capacity. And, yeah. you know, and so when the when the challenges come and you don't have that capacity then you're more at risk of a breakdown you're more at risk of potentially committing suicide you're more at risk of abusing drugs or alcohol because you just don't have you know anything to dip into and, and let's talk a little bit about that at lunch you said to me nick i am on all cylinders i'm firing i'm making great split decisions i'm really connected and i think there's a real um misconception to what I would call outward energy. So you and I are very, very energetic driven souls. We can multitask, our brains are active hardwires, and there's a, uh, a real threat, I think, for people that think they have to be on all the time, but their capacity isn't really working. So they've stretched themselves and they're in overdrive, and mm. that's what you got to. So how do you recognize the signs of overdrive versus just being in your flow? Yeah, and look, I think a point to make as well is that capacity is not something you can build when when you need it. You have to build it when you don't need it, right? So yeah, yeah. so, so yeah, you you've got you've got yeah. to make you've got to make that investment. Um, for me, a really canary in the coal mine. Um, so an early indicator of a lack of capacity is sleep. So when I've worked with, fortunately, I've had the opportunity to work with about six hundred and fifty founders over the past. 18 months, um, one of the common threads of, of the, that sort of um, cohort of founders is that, you know, a lot of people struggle with sleep. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, it's a really good indicator of your health. It's a, it's a good indicator of, you know, if, you, if you're drinking too much, you're going to sleep poorly, the quality of your sleep and the quantity of your sleep. Um, and the, the interesting thing about why sleep's important is that not only is it an early indicator, um, but if you're not sleeping well, then it can lead to a vicious cycle where, um, you know, you get up the next day, you're grumpy, um, so your relationships are going to suffer both um, at home and at work. Um, you're certainly not going to make good decisions. Your decision-making suffers, and then your creativity suffers. So, yeah, exactly. um, you know, you're not going to be doing your best work, and therefore, because of that, you're going to sleep less, 
and you know yeah, again and a, again and again. There's a reason why sleep deprivation is considered torture. Yeah. And I think so that that's one reason. And the second reason is we're not listening to our bodies, and our bodies and our minds are the greatest indicators. So having a short fuse at people, um, being snappy, not being able to see things properly on the screen, also just really not being in the driver's seat. So feeling overwhelmed. And letting those anxiety levels, that's, I, we were talking before at lunch about just, you're allowed to not be perfect. So if you start to recognize your emotions are completely, you know, giving you a few warnings, you should listen to those signals. Why do you think that, that, that people push those down? Is it vulnerability and fear of being discovered or not knowing enough? Um, I think it depends on where you're at. So for me, again, it comes back to, um, whether you're in a, a defensive mode or an offensive mode. Now, the more stress you're placed under and the less reserves or capacity you have, um, you're going to be less likely to be self-aware and you're going to have um, less opportunity to reflect and listen to your body or to listen to the circumstances. And so for me, again, um, you know, they become... Um, I guess counterpoints to each other. You know, if you're if you're stressed out, um, you know, you're not going to have the headspace to be able to go. Actually, I'm stressed out. You know, you sort of you tend to kind of end up bunkering down, and you bunker down further I call and further. It the hibernation syndrome. Yeah, you just and, want to like you know go further into yeah, trying to dig yourself out yeah, of the hole. Yeah, and you can feel like you're under assault, right? Yes. And so you know, it's it's easy for people to come in and say, you know, you've got to reflect, etc. That's impossible. So it's impossible to intervene either yourself or intervene with other people when they're in that mode, right? Yeah, and well, the, that's survival mode. Yeah, it's absolutely right. So you're in survival mode. You know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of executives in survival mode. It's a natural human behavior mm -hmm. for us to, you know, that kind of fight or flight, yeah. um, you know, uh, kind of a response. And so for me, uh, the first step in, you know, executive or entrepreneurial wellness is to take action on things like, for example, sleep and, and, you know, reducing the amount of alcohol you drink and, you know, creating some space by journaling or meditation or, or exercise. And then that eventually gets you out of, you know, that survival mode. It allows you to, Awareness. you know, take a breath, yeah. you know, build, you know, what I think are the three core traits of, of entrepreneurs, which is, you know, you need to have a sense of self-awareness. Um, you need to be adaptable um, and you need to have some resilience. And so, you know, you can't, you know, turn those on automatically. There's something that you need to invest in. You need to take the time and, and you can't even make that investment if you're in survival mode. It's impossible. No. And I think, and that's the whole point in, in the, the roadmap that I, that I work with my clients with survival mode to seamless success means you have to go through understanding level of awareness and accountability so you can keep checking in all the time. And this is very much what Unicorn Tears is about is, um, why so much so many startups fail is because it's this instant gratification. I think with you know entrepreneurialism and starting up is becoming a real buzzword. It's sexy. It's interesting. We spoke about that earlier this morning, and I said I encourage people to earn their stripes a little bit more. We should always have innovation and creativity, and we should always have a go. Failure is important. It's where we learn, but we've also got to understand there needs to be some foundations in place that you can sustain the journey because it's a tough road. It is. And, you know, I, I mean, I love entrepreneurialism. I love startups. I love that it's democratized. So for me, you know, the fact that it's easier than ever um, to start a business, it's easier than ever to participate in, you know, this part of the economy. 
there's a there's a flip side to that though, right? Which is that if ninety two percent of startups fail within the first three years, then ninety two percent of founders will fail within the first three years, and there's a corresponding human impact to that. And whilst I think we've gone you know, leaps and bounds in improving entrepreneurial education. And, you know, there's a lot of work out there, you know, with um, the Lean Startup, which is Eric Reese's book. You know, there's a lot of work in, you know, incubators and accelerators. And, and there's a bunch of information out there for for entrepreneurs in terms of, you know, business model and value proposition. And, and I would say the technical side of, of starting yeah. a business. The there's side. Yeah, there's yeah. not a lot of conversation and certainly not a lot of preparation um, for entrepreneurs on the you know, the physical and emotional impact yeah. that it, you know, what it means to doubt yourself, you know, what it means to, you know, fear disappointing other people, um, you know, the imposter syndrome, um, you know, the idea that you have a fear of, you know, being rejected, you know, there's a whole bunch of psychological aspects to entrepreneurialism that aren't right widely discussed. And I think a lot of people think, well, that's just, you're either born an entrepreneur or you're not. And and I've oscillated back and forth about that. You know, my view is that you can actually learn and, and, and entrepreneurialism can be taught, uh, but I think we're teaching the wrong things. You know, I think we need to be preparing people, you know, for, you know, that those sort of personal impacts that entrepreneurialism, you know, takes. And, and I, I think we spoke about this. This is collateral damage. And I don't, I, I, once again, I think we need to prepare anyone in life for the tools to be able to navigate all the roadblocks and, and consider all these challenges with curiosity and with unicorn tears, you're specifically talking about the fact that there are areas that you can build on that resilience and adaptability and and also this this I call it the pit crew. But you know, having the conversations with people that really care and have been in those shoes, we shouldn't be asked we shouldn't be afraid to ask for help. So if you're listening to this right now, I'm gonna ask Jamie to say you three things that I know for sure, when you did so well on the stock exchange and you were standing there with, you know, Dom Perignon and it was all going well and then it all fell through, there are certain things that we look back on and we just we just didn't ask for help because we didn't know how. So if anyone is listening to this and you're like, you know that you've got a great product or you know you really love your job and you don't have to keep pushing the envelope all the time, there's definitely a, a more effortless way to find your glide. So what would your three tips be for people that were really at this point thinking this is just really a lot harder than I thought and I'm on my own in this. Yeah, I mean, so the first, uh, look, I think that there are three fundamental things that all good founders have in common and, you know, I've had an opportunity to study a variety of founders. The first one is that um, they the kind of core or the foundational element that, that I think a good founding is based on is motive. And so, you know, what is your why? Um, so for me... Connecting with purpose is is crucial, and the reason why it's crucial is that um, when the chips are down and you know you are facing adversity, you are more inclined to go the distance on projects that you're highly connected to. Absolutely. So, so, yeah, and, and, and I think get you up at, it, it will, it will, yeah. and I think it's different from passion. So a lot of people say, "Do what you're passionate about," but passion comes and goes. You know, passion, yeah, yeah. passion. You know, um, purpose has, is your has GPS. A spark. But yeah, but yeah. purpose is, uh, I think, far more sustainable, and I think it's far more closer to what your values are. And so, I find that founders who are authentically connected with the problem they're trying to solve, um, you know, they might be trying to solve, you know, literacy or clean water, or you know, they might be able, to, you know, trying to solve a particular technology problem that somebody in their family, uh, you know 
know, uh, would benefit from. But founders that are purposely connected to the problem they're solving, they're scratching an itch, um, are far more resilient, firstly. That's the, the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I think founders who invest in themselves and, and, and build capacity when they don't need it. Um, and that's on the three dimensions of physical, which is, you know, diet, exercise, sleep, you know, and their relationship with um, alcohol and drugs. And the, the second one is, is mental capacity. So, you know, what are your productivity habits? Um, how do you... Uh, we spoke a bit about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what's your relationship with your phone? You know, can you do deep work? You know, what does your concentration look like? How do you deal with interruptions? You know, how do you make sure that you're constantly not in, like, productivity crisis mode, you know, flustered, missing spot appointments? Fires. Yeah, yeah, spot fires. Because, yeah. again, um, you know, if, if you don't have that under control, then, again, you can't even create the time to invest in yourself. And so, for me, you know, mental capacity development is really important. And then, lastly emotional capacity development so looking at um you know whether or not you want to meditate or you want to do critical um you know self-analysis or if you want to look at things like journaling i think it's very very valuable but some kind of you know ability for you to reflect and create headspace um i think is is really crucial so that's the second thing so so building capacity and then the third thing is what i would say questioning your bias beliefs and bullshit so what i would consider to be radical self-inquiry so that's at the at the top of the pyramid in sense of you know once you've got the other things under control you can start to understand why do you do the things that you do and it's a really interesting question because most of the time we operate completely on autopilot exactly so yeah. we sort of get up you know, stimulus response, stimulus response, stimulus response. And sometimes you do just things without thinking. And that's that's actually how we're programmed as human beings. It's a survival trait. Um, however, if you want to grow and develop, you need to firstly understand, you know, what do you do? And just, just actually make a conscious effort to be more present and understand that, you know, when this happens, I respond this way and create a little space to ask yourself why. The ultimate goal is to understand what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. Um, because as a founder and entrepreneur, you can then start to um, not necessarily work on your weaknesses, but amplify your strengths and then potentially surround yourself with people who can, you know, level out your weaknesses. I just, I just want to touch on that point a little bit, working specifically with um, with leaders and, and entrepreneurs about the strength and weaknesses thing. And I also want to come back to the deep work point. Mm. I just love that deep work because we get starved of the deep work when we get into the day-to-day -day regime. But uh, you know, there's a whole thing is acknowledge your strengths, but I, I still believe that it's worth being curious and educating yourself on your weaknesses when you are running a business or you're leaving a company. Don't just leave it up to the experts. Like, get informed so you can make good questions and you can brief well. And uh, you know, the areas that I particularly uh, think that people need to not shy away from is don't just say I'm no good at finance and, and don't just say I'm no good at creativity. You have to have some level of understanding if you want to be robust in business. You the, do. The you curiosity. Do. You don't have to do the work, but I definitely think if you're, if you're really serious about evolving, um, then you need to not just rely on everyone else. You need to be educated and start being curious about areas that, that you thrive in. Yep. And areas where you can bring experts in that you know uh, have done due diligence in the area. They're not just, um, you know, you, and this is the big thing, I think, with entrepreneurs where they're not taking care of their financial well-being, which ultimately is one of the biggest stress. 97% of people fail in their personal financial administration um, inside work environments and as entrepreneurs, and it forms the biggest stress for them. So if we're not teaching people to 
lean into the areas they're most afraid of, we're not going to give them better capacity and better capabilities. And so there's, there's lots of things around that. Don't be afraid to lean into your weaknesses either or get help around those areas. Yeah, although I'm, I'm a bit of a contrarian on that point. I mean, I think you need to have, you know, some level of understanding. However, I think there's a real risk you level yourself out. So, well, you shouldn't so, do everything. So I'm a believer in, you know, you don't want to average yourself down. So for me, um, you know, if, if you're a – if you're a specialist athlete and you're a great sprinter, you're not going to really take up marathon running, right? No, right. So, no, exactly. and, and so, you know, you, that, you know, you really, really work on your strengths for me. Yeah. You've got to understand what your weaknesses are for sure, but you've got to go look I'm a sprinter. That's what I do. So everything that I do in my life has to be focused on, you know, training fast switch muscle fibers. That's what I'm going to do. You know, I've got to, I'm going to focus on, on sprinting. Um, I'm not going to waste time doing long distance running because, you know, whilst, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I will run, but I'm a particular, you know, my focus is, is in this particular area. And so for me, um, yeah, it's, it's good to understand that's what they do and that's great. And, you know, maybe if I, you know, if I need to run a marathon, I can hire somebody who can run that marathon can, for me. Exactly. There's, there's a bunch of stuff yeah. and I need to be able to know how I can select a marathon runner, you know, there the, you there's a whole bunch of stuff. But, but I think... I'm very, I see a lot of people misapply that concept, and they okay. say, "Okay, well, I have." They try to, and be all yeah, and they, and they try and build things. And and, I, and and the biggest problem I face with um, early stage founders is that they 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 buy into this myth of the super founder, um, ah, and, and, the, and, and this idea, which is you know, like you know, they they see people um, who are unicorns in their own right. So you know, people who have. Who do have an all-rounded view, you know, and uh, they are just as rare as you know billion-dollar businesses. However, you know, a lot of new entrepreneurs and founders believe that they have to be it all. I have to be a marketing genius. I have to be a technologist. I have to be, you know, amazing at sales. I have to have every answer to every question that could possibly ask asked of me. Um, and and that ends up being a, a recipe disaster for disaster. So for me, um, I try to say to founders, you know what, like just. You've got to understand the whole business for sure. Um, however, you don't need to have all of the answers. No, and, exactly. and, you, and you certainly don't need to be an expert at everything. And you either want to surround yourself with a co-founder who can complement your skills or an employee or a team or a board Perfect. or a sense of advisors. And what would you say um, your personal mantra has been to balance your own family life? I mean, you've, you've certainly got... I definitely think we're going to have another episode on the show. We're going to talk about some of your passion projects and, and the venture capital around non-for-profit and healthcare and all these sorts of things that are using your giving back kind of philosophy as well as the commercial aspect. But there's no, you're not a stranger to having collateral damage yourself. Um, you've ended up in hospital. Um, you had some serious health scares and you have a beautiful family at home. So how do you navigate your drive and still really enjoy that blend, that work-life integration. Yeah, look, I think it's hard. I, I, I think the first point is to, um, I think, have overt conversations about what it means to be an entrepreneur. I think that um, it's tough enough um, if you haven't had the conversation at home about what that means, right? And certainly there are huge advantages in being an entrepreneur with flexibility of time and, you know, location of work and potential financial rewards. Um, that said, there are a lot of um, negatives, right, which is, you know, additional stress. You may be present but mentally absent from home. Um, you can put financial, uh, you can put yourself financially at risk. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a bunch of things. So, um, but, you know, you're, you're, you know, I think a lot of people don't have open conversations with their... So you, their, you definitely their, have that. Yeah, you, 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 I, don't, I don't think you can 
be successful without having that conversation. Yeah. Because, you know, I see, you know, I met an entrepreneur recently who um, had to go home and he was telling his, you know, spouse that he just lost all the money, you know, and, uh, and was completely stressed about that. But it was clear that there was no expectation setting before that event had occurred. And so, you know, it's shared risk, right? So, you know, I think in any partnership you have to have, um, you know, transparency around what the risk looks like, transparency around what does it mean, and, you know, you've both weighed it. Because I see a lot of entrepreneurs who are pushing against their home life, uh, and that's just added pressure. Right. Yeah, 100%. So, and this is why I wanted to come back to this discussion because I feel there's lots of books around how to start up and how to build a business. But you and I dedicate to helping people how to have a life while they do this, and they, that we don't want them to throw the baby out with the bathwater or we don't want marriages to fail because we want people to be healthy, wealthy, and wise while they continue to follow their purpose. And, you know, one of your things is talking to your, to your spouse or your significant other and explaining what an, an entrepreneurial landscape looks like. And it's shared risk. Mm-hmm. So don't assume that your partner knows what your day was like. There's a, there's a really great adage is when you come home and someone says, how was your day? And you say, fine. There's no room for conversation. Mm-hmm. You're shutting that door down so there's no dialogue at home because you've been talking all day at work. Mm-hmm. So that level of mutual respect is, is really crucial to get the support you want. Because if you don't ask what you want, you get what you give it. Yeah, I think there are um, two other really important aspects to that, which is, you know, firstly, this idea that it's really hard to take care of other people until you're taking care of yourself. So this idea, you know, the oxygen mask analogy where, you know, on a plane you, you put your own oxygen mask on first. Um, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, it's, it's hard to have good relationships um, if you're in that survival mode, mm-hmm. right? So again, you know, if you're in that mode, you know, you know, you can't burn fat in the presence of insulin, right? So if your body's, you know, if your body's, uh, you know, in that survival mode, then it's really hard to, you know, you don't want, you want to go home and, and drink a bottle of wine. You don't want to go home and have a conversation about your day, right? So at that point in time, you know, you have to get yourself out of that survival mode. Um, because it has a, a flow-on effect into exactly. all, all of your relationships. Yeah. That's the first thing. The second thing, though, um, which was an epiphany for me, um, is is that you need to think about entrepreneurialism over a long enough time frame. So, um, you know, a lot of people defer things for the future. So, you know, their future self is amazing, um, but I don't know who this future self is, right? But, you know, this conversation of like, you know, look, I'll go to the gym after I've got this product release out or I will eat well after I, you know, do my yeah, cup exactly. race or I'll spend time with my family, you know, after I've got, when I buy, buy my desert yeah. island and I've got my millions of dollars, mm-hmm. right? Um, the, 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 the analogy for me is looking at kids' sports. So, you know, if you go and watch a bunch of young kids playing soccer, they actually just run around the field because, they you know, it's a sunny day. They go out, they're with their mates, they kick the ball around and they don't even care about the score of the game. Half the time they don't even know what the score of the game is, they're right? They're just, they're, just, they're just having fun, right? Yeah. And there's kind of a point in time, actually, as they grow up where they start to care more about the outcome. And they lose the sense of joy associated with playing the game. And I say to a lot of entrepreneurs, do you like what you do every day? Because I think a lot of them don't. I think yeah, a lot of them actually. I think a lot of them hate what they do every day. Mm-hmm. And um, but they def- they they do it because they go. Do you know what? I'm going to work and I'm going to slog it out. Um, as soon as be- I get because this, because because I'm going to get I'm going to yeah. be the next Facebook and I'm going to get 100 million bucks and buy my desert island. Now that day may never come. And, and that's no life. It's, it's So for me, you have to, what I would call, enjoy playing the game. 
Now, if you don't enjoy playing the game of entrepreneurship, that means like all of the terrible things that happen and all of the great things that happen, but actually coming to, you know, work in the entrepreneurial sense every day and loving the cut and thrust of, you know, that sort of volatile environment. If you don't like that, go and work in the corporate world. Uh, James Dyson, the inventor of the Dyson vacuum cleaner, went through something like 5,000 prototypes before he got to the vacuum cleaner. So, you know, all... All innovation and all good art and, and science is built on a foundation of, you know, trial and error, trial and error, you know, and constantly advancing. And so for some unknown reason, I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this sense that, you know, failure is is, is a dirty word. Well, I, I mean, I always say your ego is not your amigo. And, and if you're... You love your catchphrases. Well, you do too. I just, uh, you, you're pretty good at them. We're, we're almost on a par. I've, I've met my um, catchphrase buddy now. Mm. But what I but I think this is the most important thing, this element of humility and um, and trusting your gut rather than worrying about what other people's gonna think. So you have to you've got your blurts, like I'd like to do this but and that's where failure comes in. Like it wouldn't be great but and I think that you just have to go for it, but make sure you've got a solid foundation and and lean in and learn. Like if you keep making the same mistakes and you're not learning that stupidity. I mean that is actually the definition of insanity to be honest. So we do know that Founders need to be slightly insane. Um, mm. I definitely wouldn't be on the normal spectrum. I can say that, mm. and I think you need to have an element of crazy. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fun. Yeah, and look, I stole this from somebody, and I can't remember who, but this idea of that there's a big difference between hope and optimism, right? And so, you know, you can prepare for something um, and be optimistic that you're going to have a positive outcome. Or you cannot prepare and hope that it's going to work out, right? So, um, you know, risk-taking is definitely about doing the work, right? So, you know, like completely blind, you know, reckless approaches that end in failure deserve to fail, right? Like, I mean, it's great. You know, I didn't study for the exam and I failed it. Yeah. Well, you know. That's called natural that, Yeah, Yeah, <laughs> that's called Darwinism, right? And then I'm like... Good, right? Yeah. Clean those people out. Exactly. But um, when it comes to, um, you know, preparing, being optimistic um, and saying, you know what, I've, I've prepared, I've done my best, um, you know, we've, we've, you know, we've tried, maybe the idea is too early, maybe it's too late. Um, you know, timing plays a lot in entrepreneurship, right? So you can be completely prepared and have exactly the right product, but at exactly the wrong time. And so, you know, especially in the in the technology sphere, you know, a lot of technology builds on the adoption of previous technology. Um, and, and so, you know, it's really about about performing your best and and really applying, you know, a methodical, logical approach. Um, and being optimistic of the outcome. I'm not. I'm not trying to create a cult of failure. You know, I don't. I don't necessarily like this idea of it's all about you know learning and fail fast and all those kind of catchphrases. I hate the whole thing. Yeah, I'm not, I, I, I mean, I, I, I think that it is. It is the best word we have for it. But um, you know, I, I, to be cheesy for but me. But the other thing is, have these conversations up front and, and don't stick your head in the sand. I think that's to me mentally that we need to not only say, "Are you okay?" but what to do next. Yeah, and, and I guess question yourself in terms of start to build that sense of self-awareness and, and in the interim, you know, create a support network that can help you. So, um, you know, self-awareness is, is something that, that comes over time and, and different people sit on different spectrums of emotional intelligence. Uh, however, everybody can have a good support network. Yeah. And people who you trust and, and you know that, 
are coming from a really good place. So, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm very encouraging of entrepreneurs to surround themselves with people who've been on that journey, can break the isolation that a lot of entrepreneurs feel. And you I, know, I they think leaders lead. inside organisations feel the same. Yeah, absolutely. Leadership is often described as being a lonely sport. However, it doesn't have to be. And, no. and uh, you know, I think a lot of people... Um, don't embrace a level of vulnerability. There's this, I think, mythology around, um, you know, leaders have to have all of the answers and that, uh, you know, any kind of uh, indecision or, uh, or, shows or, or vulnerability shows weakness. And, and I, you know, my view is it, it, shows, it shows strength. Um, and yeah. it shows a level of self-confidence that, that I think develops over time with good yeah. leaders. So, Jamie, where can we find you and your words of wisdom um, around all these things, not only in startups, but I know you've got some beautiful projects which I'll put on board. You've got a great venture capital company. I'd love you to talk just a little bit about your purpose-driven uh, message behind that uh, yep. with healthcare. No, I mean, look, we, we, um, we're very much uh, focused in the seed space. So our view is that um, in, in Australia in particular, there's a lot of angel investment. There's a lot of, I think, the, the venture capital ecosystem has developed really strongly um, in the later stages. You know, it's been, it's been a late bloomer, but, you know, we're starting to see some really good funds that have uh, sort of come into a, a reality here. Um, not a lot of investment in the seed space, which is that sort of, you know, kind of um, capital that's needed, um, right you know, at right at the beginning. Um, yeah, the first sort of what I would consider to be sophisticated money invested in a business. And what would um, that be? Just give us a figure. Yeah, it's probably up to between 100000 and $1.5 million, you yeah. know, is, is roughly the range in terms of how much capital uh, that I think a business typically raises at seed. Um, but when, when from our from our perspective, we're looking to invest in, our mandate is really looking to invest in a couple of things, which is firstly, we want to invest in social impact. So... Um, not necessarily not for profit, so yeah. but but businesses that um, have a purpose. Um, you know, I think I've said previously that I believe that you know founders who are solving a problem that they're authentically connected to. Um, so it, uh, those businesses um, are, are usually more successful because the stickability. It, with it. Yeah, and then they kind of they tend to weather it. So one of the questions I often ask founders when I um, Meet them is why did you start the business? Like, what's your connection to the problem? You know, is it a is it a business problem that you've seen when you're working in the corporate world, or a you know, or yeah, yeah. When I see, I'm always skeptical of people who go, oh, I thought you know I could make money out of cryptocurrency yeah, or well, whatever. A the yeah, there's a there's a gap in the market. I'm like, yeah, we maybe, need a pen that sticks to your fingers. Yeah, maybe there's a gap in the market for a good reason. Um, however, um, you know, I like to see that we like to invest in businesses that you know, have that purpose-driven, um, you know, foundation um, led by, a, you know, a, a good founder that we would consider to be coachable, um, not because we want to um, run the business, but we just believe that as an early-stage leader, you need to seek a lot of different opinions. Mm -hmm. So you need um, to be open-minded. You need to be open-minded. It doesn't yeah. mean that you have to take all of that. No, but you um, have to not be but, closed but, down. But, yeah, I mean, like these businesses operate at an unbelievably fast pace in a constantly changing environment. Um, in you know high levels of ambiguity, and so you know as a startup founder, being receptive to different ideas, to being adaptable, to drawing upon the experience of a board or your investors or your team or other entrepreneurs, is just going to give you an edge um, that you know it's going to improve your chances of success. 
Um, and if you're just closed-minded, and, and yet again, it's it's this sort of founder paradox where you know you've got to um, you know have all the answers, but you've got to be open-minded. You've got to you know fail fast, but never give up. You know, you've got to think about it's, the long term and the right, short term. I'm like, yeah. oh, I mean, like, I don't know what I need to do. Like, it's you know, there's no real map. But you know, I think that there's um, some constant traits that um, you know founders need to have, and one of them is is you know being receptive to other people's ideas. So that that's a great way to to end this fantastic show and podcast with you once again, Jamie. I know that you've got deals to do and places to go uh, here in beautiful Sydney and you've turned the weather on today. Uh, you can find Jamie on jamiepride.com. You can. Um, his books are worldwide as well and the Founders Circle is a great place to hop online and go and visit. If you're feeling isolated and alone in your journey to build your businesses, then just you are not. The most important thing is to reach out and ask for help. And if you don't know where else to go, please leave us a comment. We'd be happy to direct you in the right spot or to answer your questions the most important thing is have a go. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no more time in the day. We all have the same number of minutes and we're just here to help and to make you aspire to be your personal best. You must be healthy, wealthy and wise. There is no isolated thing. It is about having a trifecta. And as Jamie said before, you must have fun on that journey. So if you've lost your mojo and you're wondering why you're getting up in the morning, it's probably time to assess what you're doing in the first place. So Jamie, thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and also your purpose behind helping founders succeed in what is a tough landscape. So thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. You can hear more about Jamie on the vitalitycoach.com.au. Head over to Vitality Coach TV, the Mojo Maker podcast. And until next time, thanks for tuning in. We'd love your review on iTunes. We hope that you enjoy the show. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we'd love your review on iTunes. Or you can jump online to thevitalitycoach.com.au. For more from Nikki, to sign up for the Monday Mojo and the Vitality Coach TV on YouTube.